continuing and just following along in Jesus' life as these next events come. Today we will be talking about a parable that he spoke titled A Friend at Midnight. It begins in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? Jesus is pointing out immediately that if you came late in the afternoon, it might be a problem. If you came around midnight, you have probably picked about as inopportune time to disturb someone as you possibly could. And it was a tremendous bother. said unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So again, it's kind of in a position to say, This is your problem, not my problem. I'm asleep. Leave us alone. Don't have anything to help you. Verse 7, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will arise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives, he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you that ask him? So Jesus is is speaking this parable. He's using this illustration, not because he wants to tell us a children's story. He wants to tell us something so deep and so profound that the way he teaches this as a master teacher is to use a parable or an illustration to try his best to make it simple. So Jesus paints this picture of a man who is at home, his family is there with him, his children there with him, and they have long retired, been in bed, and way too late for someone to be coming, knocking at the door, and bothering him. He says he doesn't open up and give to him because he's a good friend. He does it in this strange word, it says, because of the importunity. That word means because of his shamelessness. Because the man knocking at the door wouldn't relent. Because the man at the door just kept being there, kept knocking, kept asking. Probably in the way in this context, he says he's probably actually begging him to let him in, to give him what he needs so that he can take care of the guest who has come at midnight. Now Jesus again is working diligently here to tell us something. He wants to set up a comparison between the man who is inside and the man who is coming to the door and asking something of the man who had shut the door. He wants to draw a contrast, and he does this even more poignantly later in this scripture. He's saying, if you, coming to the door because of your shamelessness, because of your determination, because of your willingness to just put yourself before someone else and say, I'm desperate, would you open the door, would you give me what I want? He's saying, if you're capable of that in your humanity, of yielding to that kind of begging or that kind of a request, 
If you're capable of that in your humanity, now let's elevate that into a heavenly situation and say, what will God do if you come to him with that same kind of determination? What will God do who doesn't shut the door, who doesn't sleep, who doesn't slumber? If you come with that same kind of determination in prayer, seeking that which, it, which God is very willing to give, asking appropriately with faith that which God has offered you to, that you can ask, what do you think you're going to get? Here's a man who yielded because he got kind of wore down. If you came with that same kind of determination before a willing God, what's he able and ready to give you? So Jesus wants us to see, in contrast, if we're capable of that in our humanity in this story of asking and receiving out of somebody who's unwilling, what would asking and receiving be out of a God who's willing and who's ready? So Jesus is telling us this parable, trying to get us to understand, because it's so strange that we've developed within our culture, within the Christian culture, we have to squeeze things out of God. We have to squeeze information out of him because people come and say, I've asked God and what to do and he won't tell me. You know, what's going on? Why won't God tell me? So they kind of almost make God miserly with the things he gives out because if he says here he gives freely and I'm not getting, then something's wrong in this story and, it, and why is God doing this? Well, there's several factors that could answer that question, but the number one question, and people ask me that all the time is, you know, I'm asking God what to do. I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of lost. I don't know what to do. And I tell them, if God's not answering that question, ask him another question. Because I can tell you in the scripture, every time somebody asks God, what do I do? He won't answer that question. Well, that's the one we want answered. I don't, God, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what with my life. I don't know what to do with my finances. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what to do. And God says several times, well, one time they said, I, what do we do that we can do the same thing you do? And you'd think if, if he, he'd come back with this list and say, well, if you want to do what I do, then you go to church, you give your money, you study in seminary, you read your Bible every day, and you do all these good things. If you do all those things, then you can do what I do. And he won't answer the question. What he answers, he says, well, yeah, if you want to do what I do, you only believe. And it's frustrating to them because they want to know what to do. Ask a different question because God loves talking to you. God loves talking to me. I sat with a gentleman this afternoon because back in August, I had a vision. It had two parts. One of the parts I had already taken care of, but just never had permission to go and share the vision with this other man until today. And so I went into his office, and I sat down with him, and I said, I need to tell you, I've got to share several things before I can tell you exactly what the vision is because it's going to be too odd for you to understand. So I talked a little bit. I told him about hearing from God. I told him about some of the unusual things that God has done from the revelations and from the blessings and the goodness that we see because of listening to God and being obedient. And it was very strange because as I talked, it was like the love of God had reached out and just started pulling him in. You could see it on it from the little bit of distance that, I, that there was there when I sat down. You know, by the time I'd been there about 10 minutes, his heart was, was completely open and he was fully ready to receive spiritually, what God had told me to tell him. It was just fun to watch. It was just very interesting to watch what happens in those moments. Jesus is desperately trying to tell us, You're not, you don't have to squeeze anything out of me, ever. When we look back in the Old Testament at the story of Moses, 
The children of Israel were thirsty. They'd come out in the wilderness and it wasn't there. They came to some water and it was bitter. It's called the bitter waters of Merah. So Moses took the tree, cast it into the water, and the water became sweet. He wanted us to understand this picture. How do you deal with bitterness in your life? And bitterness is a chronic problem within the world today. People get hurt and bitterness stays. And it stays and it stays and it becomes chronic. It won't go away. They came to this bitter water, prayed to God, God, show me so that I can know what I'm supposed to do. God showed him a tree. Moses cut it down, threw it in the water, and the water became sweet and ready to drink. What does the tree picture? The cross, absolutely. Where do you go in bitter times? You go to the cross. You want to deal with bitterness? Stand at the foot of the cross and look up at Jesus who died. Stand before that cross and see it empty. Guarantee it's hard to be bitter when you realize what Jesus has done. But in the next story, they're thirsty again. They come to the rock and God tells Moses to strike the rock. He does. And out of that rock comes living water. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that rock is Jesus. He wants us to see symbolically that that rock is Jesus. And that rock, once it's struck, will produce living water so that anybody who stands at that rock and drink will live. He wants us to get that Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth that's about to happen. That Jesus is that rock. Once crucified, he'll pour out living water. And anybody who drinks that living water will live. And not only a little while, but live eternally. That was Jesus' promise to the woman at the well. I have a water that you drink, you'll never get thirsty again. But what happens the second time when Moses comes to that same rock? He comes to God again and God says, I know you're thirsty. It's okay to come back to the rock. Whatever you do, don't strike it a second time. Speak to the rock. And Moses, in his frustration, in his anger at the people, strikes the rock. What was his punishment? He didn't get to go into the promised land. Why did God punish him? After all that he had done, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, putting up with everything that he put up with, bringing them all that way, bringing them all that distance, and he strikes the rock, and the reality is, he can't go in. Why did God not let him go in. One of the things that we understand is most of the time it was, we would say it's because he struck the rock twice. That's not the case. That was the actual result. If you read that passage, what God did not want, he did not want anybody to think that you have to get frustrated to get something out of God. He did not want that picture set in anyone's mind that the only way that God was going to deliver what you needed was out of the frustration, strike the rock. He would not have that picture. We also get the picture when God came down and the people wanted to see God and God says, nobody can see me. You couldn't see me and live. We get this picture and he says, you know, bring the people up to this level and stop them right there. We get the mental image that the reason that God would say that is because don't come close to me. Nobody can come close to me. That's not the story. God says, I want you to come and I want you to stop. If you'll stand still, I'll come down to you. It wasn't God saying, I want distance between us. It's if you'll be still, I'll come to you. Because if I come too close, then I will destroy you by the nature of who I am as God. But if you'll be still, I'll come as close as I possibly can because God's heart. He wouldn't have sent Jesus if he didn't want to be close. Jesus is determined in this parable that we get this picture. That he's not the guy who's got the door closed. But he wants us to pay special attention to the guy at the door and the determination with which he comes to the one asking because he has a need. 
He's speaking to us about prayer, about our life before him and the requests that we make to him. Of course, there is a right way because he says, I won't answer those things that you can fulfill in the lust of your flesh. That's when he says you ask wrong. If you ask something from God and the way that if he gave it, you would consume it by the lust of your flesh, you can know you've asked amiss. But those things that we ask for that are of God and by his will, I am more than that guy who's got the door closed. I am a willing father who would love to give you exactly what you're asking for. And then he goes on. He shifts out of that story uh, and begins kind of a, a new picture. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I tell you, he's not repeating himself. He's not doing something here for emphasis. He has three points that he's trying to make and he wants us to get it. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We ask for what we want, what we wish. This may be our situation now. We wish it was this. We ask. So he's saying, we ask for what we wish. We seek what? For that which we miss, and we knock when we feel shut out. Three different things he wants us to get. Three different pieces of information he wants us to get. He wants us to come and ask for those things which we wish. That this is my situation, I wish it was this. He gives us permission to ask for those things. He says, whatever you're missing, come to me because I want to give it. Seek and you'll find. Seek and you'll get what you're missing. And knock, this is the key one, knock when you feel shut out. There was one Christmas especially when I I believe God had forgotten that I was alive. Felt so alone, felt so lost, so tired. You know, I'd have this conversation with Jan, I, I, I think God's forgotten me. Felt completely shut out. And God's saying, that's, it'll never be the case. Verse 8, for everyone that asks, receives. He that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. There's a real key in this that we, we often fail to teach. We believe at times that we can conclude what we ask for and what we need. And this is a strange place to pick up theology, but I like the movie Bruce Almighty, and I like the movie Evan Almighty. They do some very correct things within those stories, and they're just stories. But there's a point where Morgan Freeman is talking to Evan's wife at a restaurant, where she's left him because she thinks he's just lost his mind. She makes the comment, I just wanted, and she says what she wanted. And he actually says this in Bruce Almighty too, says, when in the world does anybody know what they truly need? What does anybody know what they truly want? That's a fair statement because most of us conclude what we need, have really no idea if that would be best or not. We just know that that's in our heart. That's what we want. That's what we need. And God says, I want you to pray. I want you to ask in agreement with me. You've got to seek me first. You've got to hear me first because I want you to ask in agreement with what my mind says. I want you to pray in agreement with what I believe is best for you. In the lead up to this verses I'm reading is the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. He wants for you here what's possible in heaven. Again, it's a great question. We seek and we pray and we preach the will of God. That's what we release. That's how we can say with certainty of healing and of instruction, of guidance, of wisdom. Because we, but 
You can't do that if you don't first seek the Holy Spirit. That's what he's getting to at the end of this passage. He says, if anybody asks, what's God going to give them? The Holy Spirit. In verse 9, so again, he's, he's, he's drawing this comparison. What man is there of you? Now, he talked to us first about the guy at the door who was asking. He stops and says, this is what you can do. Ask, knock, seek. These are the things that you can do. Now then, he wants to draw attention in this next section to what he's willing to do as the father. So he says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread or a loaf, who would give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, who would give him a serpent? He comes down and makes this statement. If you then, in your humanity as a father, being evil, basically being evil, until we're righteous before God, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more, catch that word, how much more, if we have a desire, this natural desire in us, this is generally true of Christians and non-Christians alike. As a matter of fact, I would probably see here that Jesus is actually talking about those who may have no relationship with God, just a father who doesn't have a relationship with God, when his child comes, he still, out of the consideration of his heart, the kindness of his heart, treats that child with goodness and kindness. The child comes asking for bread. What kind of a father would give him a rock? If they come asking for a fish, who would give him a serpent or a snake? If you're capable of that, of giving good gifts, though being basically evil, how much more? He's trying to get us to come to the reality of infinite. How much more then would I love to give to you? He basically says it. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? We struggle with this. I mean, this is, this is hard theology within the Christian church because we believe that we can say before God what we want. And so most of us have adjusted our theology to live with the disappointment that that's absolutely not true. I tried it. I was in a financial bind and I asked God for money and it didn't come. Needed healing, I asked God and it didn't come. This is not true. And most of us still have a loving relationship with God, but most of us have adjusted our theology, still loving God, but believing that this kind of stuff is just absolutely not true. You ask yourself, how many Christians do you know that are sold out? How many Christians do you know that have truly said before the Father, I am sold out, there is nobody before you, there is no one before you, and I will do only those things that you instruct me, you will find me faithful. How many of us, wondering with this question, also have set ourselves to be secure whether God was there or not? If you count the number of of sold-out Christians that I know, that's a pretty short list. Truly a pretty short list. I know some really good folks. But when it comes over to this this gauge of 100% sold out, I don't know many of those. Because most of us are still trying to protect ourselves against the world because we don't understand or believe fully that God's enough. And we wonder, why doesn't God do it? And God says, you know, know, it's kind of like the old story of this man and woman talking about when we were younger, you know, we sat next to each other in the car. You know, I'd sit next to you and finally the husband says, yeah, and I didn't move. You know, God hadn't moved. 
He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. I listened to an interview one time with, with Misty Edwards. If you, she's in my list of sold out completely. You know, Misty sings and her music is played all over the world. And the last time I knew, she lives on $800 a month. That's her stipend and that's what she lives on. And she, she lives according to that, about that $800. Takes no money for the sales of the things that she sells. They interviewed her on the 700 Club. And they asked her about this story and about her cancer and all the things that happened within her life. And she said when she was very young, she would read the Old Testament and, re- and read that God would talk to people and say, why won't he talk to me? And see the miracles and say, why won't God do that today? Well, she discovered once that she lived the life that she now lives that God does speak. And he does do the same miracles because her heart was said, if he did it for them, he'll do it for me. I'll live life so that he'll do it for me. And he does. God has not changed. He makes this statement at the end. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? In Matthew it says blessings. In Luke, more advanced in his teaching and more mature in the disciples, he says your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. He goes through this whole thing and makes this very clear, speaks this very clearly. says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it will be open to you. He says, as the Father, you will be astounded with what I would give you. If I offered you a million dollars, would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the guy who knew how to print that million and ten million more? You see what the greatest gift he says I can give you. After setting all this comparison up, talking about our request and the urgency of our request, how determined we must be in our request. He comes back and says, I'm very willing as a father to give. And what does he want to give us? What is at the top of this list? He sets this whole thing up in that conclusion. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He says it all in saying the number one desire that you have to have for any of this other stuff to work. The number one source of goodness and blessing. The number one source of power and authority. At the top of the list. And creating a powerful difference within our life. That he wants to give us first. Is the Holy Spirit. What's our ability then. If we refuse that gift. How does the rest of the story play out? Not so well. If I don't ask for the Holy Spirit first, if I don't receive that gift first, how am I ever going to know what to pray? Because the Bible says the only way that we know what to pray is because the Holy Spirit tells us what to pray. How will we ever be saved if if we don't first receive the reality of the Holy Spirit? How will we have authority? How will we be able to move as sons of God if we refuse the very first gift that he wants to give us out of the kindness of a father and out of the requests that come out of our mouth. Out of the illustration that he's given, he says, this is the gift I want to give you. I want to give you me. I don't want to give you a million dollars. I want to give you the guy who knows how to make it. I don't want to give you power. I want to give you the guy whose name is power. I don't want to give you love. I want to give you the guy whose name is love. I want to just take him and put him in you. You ask me, I will deliver the Holy Spirit to you, put him in you 
so that every day you have the reality of God who lives in you so that every day you're an expression of who he is. That is good news. That sets me free from having to try to be good or learn how to be a good Christian. I just let the one who knows how to do it do it well within me. And then the world gets to see God move. It was interesting today as I had that conversation with this guy because you know what got him? It's a good man, godly man. What brought him into this move where the openness came was when I began to share testimonies of the supernatural reality of God, that God is still supernatural. He does things that we cannot explain. He moves in our hearts. He moves in our hands. He moves in our minds. He moves in our feet. You share these testimonies, it's like, he would just sit there and shake his head. And he said, man, I am so glad that you shared these things with me. Because the one odd thing that I had to share with him suddenly didn't seem so odd. It seemed supernatural. And it became possible. That what really changed in the story was he began to open his heart, open his mind to the reality of the supernatural presence of God. It wasn't just the same old God anymore. It was God who has come back to life. God who's supernatural. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of it. Lord, for the powerful illustration that you give us of the persistence of our prayers before you, Lord, that we can come and we can ask, we can seek, we can find, we can knock. When we feel shut out, we can knock at that door and it will be open. Those things, Lord, that we feel like we're missing, we can come to you and ask. We can seek those things. We can ask, Lord, those things that you place on our heart, the desires that you give us. In agreement with your mind, with your heart, we can ask you. We do trust you, Lord, that you know better for what our lives are about than we do. So we yield, Lord, our prayers to you so that we're praying only those things that are pleasing to you so that our life looks exactly like you had planned for it to look. In Jesus' name, amen.